Hello and welcome to FML Fund My Life, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. My name is Nicole. I'm the social media manager here at My Wall Street. And with me today, as always, is Anne-Marie, who's one of our financial analysts. So stay tuned today because you're going to get some first-hand experience about how a stock investor picks a stock. So hi, Emery. How are you today? I'm good, Nicole. How are you? I'm good. Go, coming live from Wicklow today. Oh, very nice. Did you hear Wicklow gets a shout out in one of Taylor Swift's songs on her new album? I do. It was big news here. It was very big news. Yeah. That was quite cool. I, I feel like that would be big news in Wicklow. There doesn't seem to be much else going on. Um, now, you know what? Wicklow actually <laughs> is home to a lot of stars. Katie Taylor is from Wicklow. Hosier is from know. Wicklow. And Laura Whitmore. All from Bray, actually. <laughs> yeah, which is like basically Dublin. <gasps> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. It's, it's close. But yeah, no, yeah. there actually is some famous people from Wicklow. It's weird. There you go. There you go. Learn something new every day. How was your week? <laughs> um, my week was good. What did I do this week? Not much, but I do have a I have a story I want to discuss on casual chat that I'm like not in no way involved in. I just think it would be funny to talk about. Okay. Um, have you heard about the rotisserie chicken man? No. Okay. <laughs> so great. Is he in Ireland? Um, so there. No, <laughs> it's in oh. um Philadelphia. And um, there was a man and he has been eating a rotisserie chicken every single day. A Costco rotisserie chicken. Important note because everything comes back to Costco. Um, There we go. Um, And so he had been eating a rotisserie chicken for whatever, like 38 days straight. And then he started putting up flyers in his neighborhood saying on this day, like I will be eating my 40th day of eating a rotisserie chicken. Please come to this pier and watch me do it. And like 150 people turned up to watch this guy eat a rotisserie chicken. Why? Why? <laughs> because they just like wanted to be part of the movement. Like he was starting this like I'm eating rotisserie chicken movement and he'd been doing it for 40 days and 40 nights. Like Jesus in the desert. Like that's so random. That's such an American story. Like, yeah, but it's just, it's wild. He must live right by a Costco because they tend to be out in the middle of nowhere, but like he's just taking advantage. Mm-hmm. To be fair, the rotisserie chicken is only four ninety nine. That's a pretty solid lunch. Like, yeah. But like that, that's not even impressive. Like it's not like he was eating something that's like really unhealthy for you or like really big. Hmm. Is that why it was just impressive? Because it's a whole chicken? I, yeah, I know. just like it was the consistency of it. You know, just like impressive that you wouldn't get tired of it. And then I saw him on the local news the day after he did it and they were like, oh, do you like chicken? And he was like, not really. <laughs> and they were like, okay. They were like, <laughs> they were like, why do you do, why did you do this? And he was like, well, the first day I was hungry, so I just went to go get some food, and, and then it just continued. I was like, this man, something's going on here. Do you know what? The way he, he could end up being he lost president. Out some chicken, he lost out on some chicken sponsorship deals there by saying he doesn't even like chicken. Because KFC yeah. could have been, you know, Costco, KFC, they all could have been lining up to give this guy endorsements, and he just ruined it. Yeah, I see, but I don't think Costco's much for the marketing. They don't seem big on the ads. That being said, I do think Costco is becoming a little bit self-aware of how beloved they are because they just released a lot, just universally. Everybody loves Costco, but um, they just released a line of hoodies in the U.S. that just like has their, their, just says Costco on it. Like it's, but it's the Kirkland Signature, which is like their own, their own brand is called that. And it's just a big black hoodie with just Kirkland Signature on it. And it's like $10. And if I was in the US, I would buy one. So are you even more bullish on Costco since it came out with merch? 
maybe but maybe i mean you have to appreciate a company when they become like self-aware and can poke a little bit of fun at themselves like yeah yeah definitely okay so going on to today's episode kind of going on from that theme of talking about companies and stocks as usual (laughs) and you're in for a treat because you're going to hear about how a financial analyst aka amory picks a stock so Amory is going to go into detail about the process she uses personally to research companies, pick stocks and discuss the components that make a winning investment. So first of all, we need to explain something briefly, because if you're not a My Wall Street subscriber, you won't know that our team of analysts pick a stock of the month um, for every month since 2016, if I'm correct. And this selection is basically calling out a stock that we love that month for one reason or another. So the analysts will write up a very detailed report on their reasoning for picking this particular stock and they even release a subscriber only podcast where they go into even more depth about the company, including analysis on its financials and long term prospects as an investment. And I'm not usually on that podcast, but this week I actually was. So me and Anne-Marie have actually come straight from recording the stock of the month um, podcast. So in this episode of FML drops, so will the um, stock of the month subscriber only podcast so it's worth tuning in if you're a my wall street subscriber so amory is that kind of a fair description of the stock of the month that's how you see it um yeah i would think so for me it's kind of the idea that we typically pick stock of the month based upon a number of factors but one thing we're always kind of looking for is that refresh investment refreshed mm-hmm. investment thesis so you know this 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 stock has strengthened in some way or it has a new angle to it or maybe mm-hmm. it's developing a new revenue stream that we're really interested in or um maybe it's performing really well despite despite poor economic conditions or mm-hmm. something like that um yeah. in the kind of present climate it did mean that we highlighted a number of companies that maybe you would dub um recession resistant or at least like they tend to be companies that operate in a way in which consumers will prioritize them. So Costco ended up being one about six months ago and I actually didn't even pick it. I think Rory picked it. So, um, yeah, so we were, it kind of meant that we, in this present climate, we were looking for companies like that for the last couple of six months. We're starting to evolve from that a bit now. Um, but ideally it's like a place for us to highlight and put a spotlight on companies we're really excited about. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's always, it's always, it's fun when the market is doing well and it is hard when the market is doing poorly. Let's put it like that. Yeah. So you've kind of explained why we pick a stock of the month there as well. So you said like it's a a place for, to help users as well. Yeah. I think that's, that's also um, an important aspect of it is, is at this point, I think we have like 130 odd stocks in the My Wall Street shortlist. And Mm -hmm. I think if you are a new member, it can be, you can get lost in the list sometimes, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. have a hard time maybe wading through um, stocks. I mean, we keep the list pretty up to date, actually. Like we've been doing um, comment updates pretty regularly, but the stock of the month is just like a proper, like, Hey, look over here type of, type of thing. Um, And yeah, I think it's it's definitely important for for um, new subscribers, but even important for like people who've been with us for years and years. It's just kind of a re-engagement opportunity and asking them, you know, we often get quite good feedback on them. So it's always nice to then hear opinions because, you know, we can write an entire thesis centered around like maybe two or three big bullet points and maybe people will come back and be like, hey, but what about this point? You didn't think about this or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't perceive it this way or whatever. So it's um pretty exciting for us. Um, yeah. And they tend to, we get some nice kind of diversity within the picks as well, simply because 
within the analyst team, we tend to have special specialties because as I said, like the stock list is really long and it's kind of, it's quite difficult for us to, um, make sure that we're covering everything. So, you know, I tend to lean more towards kind of entertainment stocks. I was covering a lot of streaming for this year and last year, a lot of social media advertisement type stuff, and then brick and mortar. Um, so that means that my picks tend to lean more towards there because I have spent more time like deep diving in that industry. So I'm a bit more aware of kind of, you know, where are we going in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah. So I can kind of cast a bit of light on that. But, you know, like Mike tends to be quite good at doing like back-end stocks and cybersecurity stocks and stuff like that. So then he kind of pulls your attention over there. Um, so it's like the, the kind of, it's the balancing act of the app, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And you also kind of said before that, you know, addressing current market conditions is also important and the stock of the month allows you to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think when we came out of like, what seemed to be like this incredible bullish run in 2020. Um, we heard from a lot of users who were pretty nervous um, because they were facing, you know, a portfolio that was down 30% or 40% or something like that. Um, and it, it kind of became a moment of realization for all of us that we were going, Ooh, when the market was really bullish, I think people were very, very excited to put money into high risk, high reward stocks, which is fair enough because we did have stocks and we still have stocks that are on the short list that are high risk, high reward that in towards the end of 2020, we're performing astronomically well. Like we're up two and three fold in six months or something like that, you know, like just insane returns. And I think for people who joined my wall street in 2020, I think they kind of got caught up as so did we all in those kind of stocks. And it meant that a lot of people were sitting on these portfolios that were a bit unbalanced. You know, often they were leaning really heavily towards tech, really he heavily towards speculative tech. Um, and so the last kind of six to eight months have really been an opportunity for us to be like, I know these companies are boring, but hey, like this is a reminder, this is a check-in for you mm. that you do need to also maybe be looking at, you know, a boring, mundane, stable company that will only return whatever, 20% in the year, but is going to maybe help balance out your portfolio and kind of shield you from a bit of that risk. Because if you do have a properly balanced portfolio, it meant that you probably weren't going to feel the pinch as hard um, if you were more based in kind of these more speculative um, investments. Maybe speculative isn't even the right word, but just kind of smaller cap companies that tend to be far more volatile in, in um, our current climate. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think FML listeners are most interested for this part how do you personally pick a stock of the month? What advice would you give to some an investor that does want to like, you know, follow your strategy? How do you go about it? Yeah. Um, I suppose like me and the entire analyst team are a bit of an advantage simply because we tend to have running lists of companies that we like, or at mm -hmm. least, you know, attributes that we're looking for in the present climate or, um, sometimes like something recently in the news draws your attention towards a company that happened to me with a pick we're going to talk about later on, but also this month's pick, there was like a specific instance that had happened in the last couple of weeks. And I had done research on like that news story. And then that kind of helped spiral into a bigger deep dive where I was like, Ooh, mm -hmm. like something is going on yeah. here. There's this kind of movement within this company that I'm quite excited about that I think could be really important. And so like, we obviously have an advantage of this being our job because like for 40 hours a week or whatever, I'm sitting, reading investment news, reading, you know, stuff being written up by other analysts, checking yeah. in with our own stocks. So I do just kind of have a bit more of um, just the, the, the like benefit time. or the privilege of, of time and awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
And again, like to reiterate the point I made earlier, like I do have sectors that I would be stronger than others. So then I do tend to go back to those sectors. Like um, a couple months ago, I pitched because we, an important thing maybe to say is that the week before the official stock of the month pick goes out, we release like each analyst's pitches that we have like said internally within the team and discussed and tried to kind of kind of, kind of find the final winner. And a couple months ago, I pitched um, IMAX which is a very, very testy stock and has been <laughs> exceptionally volatile the last couple of years. But I have been watching IMAX for maybe more than a year because I wrote a um, – you remember I wrote the Cautionary Tales piece on MoviePass? Yeah. Which was a movie subscription service that blew up in investors' faces several years ago. Um, yeah. And while doing the research for that, it had come up that like movie theaters tend to actually do quite well in recessions because people are looking for, you know, like a $10 date night and are looking for ways to get out of the house and movie theaters tend to be that. But then combine that with like a lot of research I had been doing on like where the movie industry was headed. It seemed like there was a lot of money to be made in movies of scale. So like Star Wars, Marvel films, you know, Dune, really big spectacle films. And consumers were also showing a tendency that when those films came out, they wanted to see them in like massive, massive scale. So they wanted to see them in IMAX. So I was like, okay, like the entire industry is leaning toward this way. Like, why would we not give IMAX a look? Yeah. And it ended up not being the pick simply because like the stock is so like as a company, like its performance just hasn't been there, even though like its central product is doing really well and it's capturing more mm. and more and more of like the market every quarter and it's capturing more and more people's attention and like a larger percentage of the box office, particularly for opening weekends. But just the rest of it, like it has a lot of debt. It, you know, it, it's not, it's like the way it makes the most money is when it like signs up new movie theaters. Like that wasn't happening at the scale that we wanted to see. Like mm -hmm. it just had a lot of stuff going on, but I was like very excited to it because I was kind of like, this is a little secret that I've discovered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there were all oh, these man. kind of little little bits of string coming together to tie together into this kind mm -hmm. of idea. So, um, so that would be more like I am like fortunate enough though. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, but it's just like, like there are probably 25 stocks that should go to be yeah. stock of the month before it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I'm just, I just kind of told that story to illustrate the point that like I can get to the pitch like me the journey of me getting to that IMAX pitch is several months long and is months of me like having to research mm -hmm. other companies operating in the same space or having to do a write-up on you know AMC as mm -hmm. a as a meme stock or whatever you know all of that was kind of building towards the central thesis yeah. um it's basically yeah like, kind of overall it's sorry there's a like um yeah like basically it sounds very complicated on how to like pick a stock of the month you not only have to be like reactive to news and things that are going on in that like economic climate but then you also have to like just as you said like IMAX was doing very well as a product like the sales could be increasing but then you also have to look at deeper things into financials like debt and things like that so there's like a whole kind of broader view of how to pick a stock yeah. of the month and like even you said you were keeping an eye on IMAX for like up to a year so it does, like to an outside person, well, like, not a complete outsider, but like it does sound very, very compl complicated about how to pick these kind of long-term investments. It's not just one thing. It's not just if it's a long-term, if it's a good stock to invest in long-term, it also has to, like, you need to go into so many different layers. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of like I start with like the central thesis of like, this is the idea I have, like, this is the movement I want this stock to tap into. But yeah. then it is like the due, the due diligence, the check-in. It's like, right, let's go down the financials. Mm. How is it performing? How is it performing quarter over quarter? Is growth slowing down? Like, And then it's even the finer details of who's in the management team. Do we like them? What's their experience? How have they handled this so far? Like, what are the company's speculative bets? Like, where do they, what, you know, where are they shooting towards the moon? How likely is that to happen? How much, how badly do they need that to happen? You know, you have to kind of, it's yeah. a big checkbox type thing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we pitch internally. So, like, I will show an idea and some bullet points or do a full, like, proper presentation to, like, Rory and Mike to get, like, feedback if I'm unsure on something. So, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a big, long, long process. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to tell like new investors that, that like, you know, when you hear about like, you know, you go on social media and you hear people pitching stocks and talking about stocks, like that's very easy to take their advice. But like for proper analysts where it's your full time job, there's so much work that goes mm-hmm. behind then this like lovely, neat, condensed report that then you do make every month. But you don't understand yeah. the amount of research and time that actually has taken like you could have been watching that stock for like yeah as you said like up to like a year sometimes and then um it only becomes a real possibility to be added as a stock of the month you know a long time after so yeah that's really interesting yeah. but then tell us about you've kind of had a bit of a journey picking your stock of the months I mean I have like the disadvantage so like when I so we both started at my Wall Street in October of 2020 which yeah. was like a great time for the market but like now we're in the the full shadow of that and so it was difficult because like when i was initially i don't think i picked stock in the month until i had been in the company like a year and so Mm. when i was kind of building up to that we were right on the precipice of everyone going "Mm, things are getting a bit too high now like are we getting a bit worried like where's the economy going so i had to pick stocks in in the first two i picked were right then like right as we were like in in the bubble bursting territory and that was very difficult because like when i made initial pitches to rory um in the kind of months leading up to my first pick to just be like to practice he kept being like oh don't don't just look for stocks that you know are a good buying opportunity this month. You know, he was like, you should like look for stocks that excite you for the long term. And so that kind of took a, takes a little bit of the pressure off of you because it does then mean that you can be like, well, okay, in a 10 year horizon, what excites me about this stock? So that was kind of nice, but it did still mean that like the first two picks are absolutely brutal because the market has just Mm. punished absolutely everything. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we're we're gonna talk about my first pick. Um yeah. kind of do a revisit of the thesis here. Yeah, so let's talk about then some of your previous stock of the month pitches. You've picked five. Um, but yeah. can you give away two names to the FML listeners? Yeah. So <laughs> the stock that I picked exact I think exactly a year ago, so November of twenty twenty one, I picked Netflix, which is the first stock I ever picked, which tragedy um because like from when that was picked a year ago it's down like just under 60 percent or something like that which is just like oh it stings um and i remember having a really hard time trying to pick that stock just like valuations were so high um but i remember the factor that kind of drew me to it the like news story that i had been reading um 
was that Squid Game had come out the month before. I think October of 2021 was when Squid Game came out. And it had just blown up and like really blown away all of our expectations in terms of viewership and content spend and like what people would find interesting and be willing to engage with. Um, and just a little on that, which was Squid Game had a cumulative production budget of $21 million and the show mm -hmm. went on to be viewed by 142 million people, which is crazy. That means that Netflix spent 14 cents per viewer of that show. Which is mm. just like that's astronomical, and like similarly around the same time, like Tiger King had been released, and Tiger King was estimated to cost about sixteen million dollars and captured sixty-eight million viewers, which is yeah, just wow. like just an outstanding, and it just kind of I think blew away our our perception of oh my god, you could make a tiger documentary and everybody on the planet would be talking about it for two weeks, you know, um, and that kind of made me think that like Netflix was really developing a brand that consumers were identifying as high quality, you know, it was. The idea that if something was stamped as being a Netflix original, people would engage with it regardless of what it was. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really interesting because I thought it kind of spat in the face a bit of what we had come to think of in terms of streaming and what was like worth a lot. And, you know, like at the time we were really caught up in the idea of IP and legacy IP and everyone was saying like, oh, Disney and Paramount are obviously going to beat um, Netflix because they own content from the last hundred years and that content, you know, people want to re-engage with and they want to check in with. And I was like, I don't know if that's the case. And like, we're still even seeing that reality now, which is um, Dahmer, which is that, that series that came out on Netflix recently for Halloween. Mm -hmm. It's now the second most watched show on Netflix and it had almost no promotion, had almost no marketing budget. And it's crazy to think that like this show that was just stamped like as a Netflix original, which had like a decent cast in it is able to pull in so many people. And so I do think that that like pillar of the write-up is still true. Like I think Netflix has built this brand and, you know, like just checking in with it now, there's been some interesting statistics that have come out that um, I think Netflix has really kind of proven its worth in the eyes of consumers. So there was a report in CNBC like two weeks ago that showed that Americans were more likely to decrease food spending than cancel their Netflix subscription. Wow. Oh my God. Which is just cr crazy. Like that's insane <laughs> to say. Yeah. Like, and it was like Netflix and Amazon Prime are the most recession resistant and it was Disney plus yeah. was the most likely to be canceled because people just couldn't unless, cause I guess like, unless you have children, it, it would be difficult to justify that expense to yourself because I don't think they put out enough kind of content for adults. I think, um, I think Disney got so, a big boost with keeping up with the Kardashians when that went on Hulu. Yeah, and like the Star Wars and the Marvel stuff, I think draws mm. in some adults, but I do think people are getting a bit fatigued of that. Yeah, I yeah. think we've there's been so much of it. I do think people are getting a bit tired. Um, mm. Yeah, and so to kind of actually, it's a good point because to kind of go back to the idea of legacy IP and these old studios coming into the space, people like analysts just kept saying, "No, like Netflix is going to lose market share. People are going to leave Netflix. They're going to want to, you know, Warner Brothers or whatever." And I, I had seen statistics that had shown that when it comes to trying to attract new subscribers, the absolutely most important thing that a streamer can do is have new and original content. And as I mentioned in kind of the opening story about Squid Game, Netflix is really, really efficient at spending when it comes to content, right? And that is super important because while the best case scenario is you develop really worthwhile IP that has great longevity, you know, you develop Stranger Things or you develop Star Wars, um, I think 
really when it comes down to like consistent engagement and proving your worth to consumers, I think diversity and optionality is, is the most important thing you can have. And like Netflix is far and away the best one at that. And it, they're, they're great at it because they're really efficient at spending money, which means that they can produce three television shows for the price of one. And they'll all be like very different from one another. Therefore drawing in either three separate audiences or, you know, one big audience that's willing to try out a bunch of different things. And I think that's quite important, especially when you're trying to attract the world's attention, you know, like Netflix isn't vying for the American market anymore. They have reached market saturation in the U S they reached market saturation in the U S in like 2018, it's not about the U.S. anymore. It's about how do we attract the Asia-Pacific region? How do we sign up people in Africa? How do we sign up people in the Middle East? And doing that is like bringing in their own local content. Yeah. So when it, in some ways today, I think I actually love Netflix even more than I did a year ago. I think the ad push is really smart. I think it'll mm -hmm. open up Netflix to lower income countries. Um, management has spoken repeatedly about the fact that they actually don't think that people who are currently subscribed to Netflix are going to downgrade. I actually think it's just going to be an opportunity for them to sign up people who have been hesitant because of the price point. Um, I also think we are kind of emerging from the cloud that Netflix's content was sitting under for a while, maybe about six months ago. It prompted me actually to write an article called, Does Netflix Have a Content Problem? Um, people became somewhat pessimistic about Netflix's content. I think that happened because there was a number of production delays due to COVID-19, where like initially during the pandemic, we had a lot of content that Netflix had prepped whatever a year and a half prior. And like we never then experiencing a pandemic hangover when they couldn't produce anything yeah. um, in early 2020 going into 2021. But like in the last maybe two to three months, I think Netflix has had a number of pretty impressive releases that have attracted attention um, and just kind of like reminded people that like, hey, like, no, this is worthwhile. There's, you know, stuff for you to consistently watch on here. Um, and then finally, like a point that I didn't really touch on in my initial write up um, but I think is really important to talk about now is is in terms of like the streaming wars, right? So there's increased competition. That was always a huge thorn in Netflix's side. Oh, all these other streaming services are coming for you. There's now like a dozen in the American market alone. Um, anytime me and Rory talk about the streaming industry, he always says at some point legacy studios are going to realize that creating their own micro streamer is not the way to go, right? Studios make more money sending stuff to theaters and making stuff off the box office and then licensing the streaming rights away, Partic unless you're, because you have to be operating at huge scale in order to make, like, in order to make streaming profitable. And so, I think we are beginning to get to that realization right now, live in the market. And I think the first indicator of it is Warner Brothers, because you know how Warner Brothers is now, has spun off and it's now its own stock. Mm -hmm. So it means like for the first time, we're actually getting a proper look into how these things operate. The amount of spending cuts that Warner Brothers is doing, they basically said in their latest quarterly call, they were like, we don't make any money off streaming. So why would we do it? They were like, mm -hmm. we're going to pull all this content off streaming. Everything is going to movie theaters. Everything's going to movie theaters for eight weeks. We are going to absolutely maximize our box office and then it can go to streaming services. They're cutting the budget of HBO, which is shocking because mm. we could probably argue that HBO is the second or third best streaming service in the world right now. They produce really great content. And really to think that Warner Brothers can't make this work is really shocking. And mm. so I would say that really small streamers, I would say Paramount streaming service, and I would say Peacock, which is NBC streaming service, probably are not going to work out over the long term and they're going to call time. There have even been leaked reports coming out of Amazon that they're sitting around figuring out like, okay, how much should we realistically be spending on content after they produced that show that was like a billion dollars, the Lord of the Rings show. And 
I like, I just wouldn't be surprised to see some big players exit this market just being like, right, this, like, this is a race to zero. We cannot be competitive in this environment. And that's going to be a huge benefit to Netflix. I think in the future, it's going to be two or three big players. Emmett has spoken about that repeatedly on the main podcast. I would say it'll probably be Netflix and Disney and like maybe Amazon. Apple would maybe surprise us and get in there. Um, I have a real inkling that HBO is probably going to be sold off from Warner Brothers and sold to somebody else. Um, yeah, it's just we're really in make or break right now for streaming. And I just think that that has strengthened Netflix's position significantly. They just have too much of an advantage because of their first mover status. And also just like their their origins as a tech company rather than a big legacy studio. So, yeah, I kind of love – like I would pick Netflix like this month. But I can't because like yeah. they were picked a year ago, so you know we have rules about how often we're allowed to repick stocks. But um, yeah, so much of that like long term thesis is still intact and is still yeah. relevant. Um, yeah, it's just a shame that you know the macroeconomic environment wasn't too wasn't too nice to us, and you know also the first ever subscriber drop, which super like punished the stock, and that was you know rightfully so. But I have faith in the management team, and yeah, I still feel comfortable with it. Okay, so that was Netflix. Okay, so now let's go on to a more positive pick. That's, I suppose Netflix is still positive because you just said you loved it. But give us a name of stock that is performing well right now, considering the market. Yeah, so like a more recent pick, I think I only made this pick in the summer, is um, Ulta Beauty, which not as fun, to be honest. Like it was a very, this was a very like plain and simple pick. This was a real like, batten down the hatches type idea. I essentially went looking for a company that was like well-priced, was performing relatively well and would continue to do so for coming months. Like this was very much recession resistant talk. Um, that led me to do some research on like 2008 to have a look at like, you know, who were the surprising performers in that time? And then in addition to that, I'd had somewhat of an eye on Ulta for a while. The reason being Ulta Beauty, which is the company we're talking about, had signed a very large contract with Target, which is a retailer in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I really like Target. And I had been begging Rory to get the Target stock into the My Wall Street app like really early on <laughs> in my time at My Wall Street. And then um kind of we ended up in our current economic environment and like the timing just wasn't right and it hasn't made its way yet. But I still think it's a very impressive business and a very impressive stock. But Ulta was basically like a way to get into Target. Mm. without having target on our on our on our list so i had been watching ulta for a while they also had kind of shocked me in terms of their performance during the pandemic um for those of you who don't know ulta beauty is essentially like a massive chain of stores for cosmetics hair care skin care that type of stuff um and in-person retail is really important to them because it's essentially that idea of come in and try out all the products try you know find your shade talk to an expert, you know, maybe get your makeup done, get your hair done. It's really like experience is very, very important to them. They have a lot, like salons in their stores. And so obviously the pandemic was like just decimated them, but they continue to have pretty decent revenue because they have a really loyal um, rewards base and people just bought online, you know, even though they couldn't go into their Ulta, people who've been shopping with them forever, just like, oh, it's fine. I'll just order online. And so I thought, you know what, like, in a reopening economy, they might do really well. Like people might be very excited to get back in store. And that has been pretty true. There was also this factor that came up in my 2008 research called the lipstick effect, 
And that was um, coined by Leonard Lauder, who is the chairman of Estee Lauder. And he found that in the wake of 2008, there was a prolonged spike in lipstick sales um, and a move towards more premium products. And it was seen as kind of people taking an opportunity to, you know, have little splurges. Despite having economic hardship, they were saying, hey, but you know what? When I buy my makeup every three months, I'll get something just a little bit nicer just to kind of treat myself. And they saw that effect really stay around for like three or four years after 2008. So I was like, okay, you know what? Like Ulta sells all types of makeup, all kinds of cosmetics, mm -hmm. all kinds of skincare. Because I was like, you know what? Maybe we've evolved past makeup, but people really love a skincare routine, like a proper yeah. treat yourself skincare routine. And I was like, mm -hmm. and Ulta has that too. So I was like, okay, we'll go with Ulta. Mm -hmm. um, and it's doing pretty well. It's up almost 15% since it was picked. But of course, like that's a six month gain. Like that's not really something we're focused on, but it has been nice to just get a bit of relief there. And not be so in, in the down in the dumps with the pick. So really the kind of central thesis around that is like still true now. Um, they delivered a really strong quarter last quarter. Their revenue was up more than 15% and their gross profit margin was had, remained the same, which is pretty impressive considering, you know, freight expenses are going up and the cost of raw goods is going up because of inflation. So to have that um, be flat year over year, I was very impressed by. And yeah, I think that they should have a pretty solid holiday season. Um, yeah have a pretty great management team. Their growth going forward is going to be more stores, but much smaller. So they're not spending as much on them. Um, they're meant to end up in like 800 target stores in the coming years. I think that's a really solid deal. Um, yeah. And they have committed to repurchase like $900 million of, of stock this year. So um, yeah, taking more stock out of circulation, boosting the price. It's always good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go, listeners. You've got a really good insight into what Amory looks out for really when she's picking stocks for the shortlist and especially stock of the month. So then let's talk about the current stock of the month without giving it away. So a couple of weeks ago, you picked November's stock of the month and it seems you've gone back to an old reliable. Um, you couldn't really have gone bigger tech, but I won't give any away any more clues than that. Um, so, but if you do want to follow our analyst team's um, investment selections, make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter to keep up to date with all things My Wall Street, the link to which you can find in the description of this episode. So then that brings us on to our girl boss of the week. So this week it was pretty like an obvious one who we were going to pick. I actually picked it yeah. this week for once, but um, I think it's obvious. It's going to be Elon Musk drama with the blue tick and bringing in. I thought the funniest part of this story was like him saying, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be $20 a month to get a blue tick. <laughs> but then it was like, then Stephen King said, I'm not paying that. You get so much of my content for free. You should be paying me along the lines of basically what he said. And then I just love that Elon Musk then replied to him, like negotiating with Stephen King to be like, oh, how about $8 a month? Just like, it just seems like a really weird business strategy that he's just like, is he just pulling stuff out of his head? Like <laughs> last minute when he's just deciding these things. And then, you know, this week we kind of, saw him say that um like all oh, comedy is finally back on Twitter and then when people started getting a blue tick and impersonating him so like Twitter accounts popped up that said Elon Musk and they had a blue tick beside it and they were saying these like outrageous 
like funny things and mad things and all this. And then it came, then he tweeted being like any parody accounts will be deleted if they don't say parody, you know, in the name. And it was like people that were poking fun about that, that like, you know, okay, it's fine. I can be funny and joke on Twitter, but if anyone tries to make fun of me, it's just different. So I just think the whole thing's a mess. Yeah, I um, I think that's, you are, you're, you're correct. I think he's a great girl boss. His yeah. whole spiel about freedom of speech and then the second everyone is making fun of him, he's like, never mind. No, no freedom yeah. of speech. But like, and surely freedom of speech should be free. Like, I know he's trying to say like, oh, like yeah. LinkedIn has... LinkedIn, you pay for a super for a super account mm. and like stuff like that. But he's like, oh, Twitter has to pay the bills somehow. And it's, I don't know, because he's worried about advertisers leaving now, isn't he? Like that's how Twitter used to pay the yeah. bills. Yeah, I think also um, <laughs> them firing 75% of the staff. And then apparently yeah. they've been calling up a bunch of them being like, so sorry, we didn't realize mm. how valuable you were. Can you come back to help us fix this problem? Which is yeah. just like, uh, that's such a horrible reflection of the incoming yeah. management team to just not have an understanding of what anyone does or like how important they are or mm. how things function. Yeah, um, yeah not great. Just... I mean, I personally love that it's been privatized so we don't have to deal with it in terms of an investment. That's true. Yeah, but I just feel like anything that Elon Musk does, then people talk about Tesla and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like he's always going to yeah. be around here. But then people are also saying like, what do you do in Tesla if this is what you do with Twitter? <laughs> you know, you just go on like, he's just been crazy yeah. on Twitter recently. And he has SpaceX. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has like, he's just so many. So many. But he's such, such a boss. Yeah, like. I do think... A People should also be a little bit worried um, about Tesla because um, a lot of the loans he took out to buy Twitter are mm. leveraged against his Tesla stock. So if Tesla continues to fall, he will mm. have to sell more of his Tesla stock in order to make up for the losses. Um, yeah, so it's just it's all wrapped up together. It's it's very mm. it's a very odd situation. Yeah, and then there was also rumors going around that um, that Jack Dorsey didn't sign a non compete so that he's rumored to be actually making like a another version of Twitter like you know and if he comes out with this good app that's you know completely free and people are against Elon yeah. Musk won't stop him moving on to that so it's definitely like an interesting story to watch but yeah so that's a wrap thanks so much for listening guys if you enjoyed this episode tune back in in two weeks time and if you want to follow us on socials, you can find us on Instagram at Fun My Life Podcast, on Twitter at My Wall Street HQ, and on TikTok at My Wall Street, or on our account dedicated to the podcast at Anna Marie and Nicole FML. And also don't forget that Emmett is on TikTok now too, um, at Emmett Savage. And finally, if you're ready to start your investing journey and looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street Learn app. Both will be linked below. If you'd like to keep up to date with us and all of the exciting things happening at My Wall Street, make sure to sign up to our free newsletter. The link to do so is in the description of this episode. So that's all from us. We hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>